Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Body Issue. It's Arda. Uh, from now on, we are going to do host our Q and A together. Today, uh, we are together with lovely Ra La. Hi, Ra. How are you? How is everything? Hi. Good. Thanks. How are you? So I'm fine. Thank you. Hey. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, before we get in details, how did your art journey start? Mm, yeah, well, I think I've always kind of been an artist. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not consciously, maybe not actively creating for the art world. But um, I mean, I can think of being creative as, as far as like my, my childhood memories. But more consciously, I um, kind of just fell into the art world, actually. I went into university I had um, started a degree in political science and, and wow. studies because I wanted to be a politician wow. and then, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah imagine and um, my family we were always in politics and I grew up uh, in a very like um, activist family so we were always at protests and demonstrations and um, so you know I had a I had a very strong sense of like a political identity mm -hmm. And um, I, I went into political science and I felt like there was a creative outlet missing for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I applied to the arts program at my university, which was a University of Ottawa. And I um, didn't have a, like a decent portfolio at all. I think I submitted the worst selection of images, <laughs> but I had... <laughs> They were just like the, it wasn't even art. It was like photography of, you know, really bad uh, self portraits and just really poorly done. And yeah. I submitted a really, I think, maybe strong letter of intent, though. So I think based on the letter of intent, I got accepted into the arts and then slowly learning about art history and, and you know, the feminist art movement and the queer mm -hmm. art movement and then learning about like performance arts. Um, then I really started to fall in love with it and um, traveling and seeing art from, you know, the te my textbooks come alive. Oh. Uh, all of the all of the history that I was learning, I, I, you know, I went to Italy and I went to Paris and I saw all of this. Well, at least the Western, you know, um, art canon or the Euro um, art canon come alive. And then, you know, I, I got I felt really connected to the work and in. in um, and on a much deeper level, it wasn't just images uh, in a textbook anymore. It was like, here's this huge piece. So then, you know, I started to get more interested in, in the history and the theory and, and even teaching art and, and that. So, yeah, I'd say, um, you know, I just kind of fell into it, let's say. Yeah, yeah. So good. Mm -hmm. uh, so can you tell us what performance art is from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, from my point of view, mm -hmm. performance arts, we, we're constantly performing, you know, we're performing language, we're performing our memories, we're performing trauma, you know, to do it performance consciously in a, in a critical way, in a way that like is reflective or, you know, uh, performs for an audience, for example, I think that's the shift. 
it's yeah. like that that conscious performance when it starts to become an interrogation or when it starts to investigate something deeper more profoundly and it's it's more there's an intellectual component to it where you're you know you're thinking about what you're doing and um you're creating you know like a relational like a connection with with an audience um i think that's when it becomes performance and not just the performativity of like language or the performativity of time mm -hmm. uh, or of memory in, in maybe the way that we like perform gender, um, yeah. you know, unconsciously. Um, so yeah, I think that shift is really important. It's like that conscious shift um, and, you know, going at it with a, a certain intention to, to critique or to subvert something. I think that's, that's for me what performance um, is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, the pandemic period brought us a lot of change and, you know, uh, we have learned to live a new order and keep it, keep with it. And also at the same time as our daily lives entered uh, a radical change and also the art world full of this change, new types of art styles of art production, you know, were born it. Mm -hmm. And how much... Um, you know, has this change affected you and your art? What kind of renewal or, you know, adaption did you lead you to? Yeah, you know, um, well, I've, I haven't had the opportunity to perform live in many years, mm -hmm. but my practice is primarily performance for the camera and, um, and like media and, and tech and digital art mixed with media art so or mixed with performance so I do like a lot of performance for the camera and um I think finally the art world is um showing some interest in <laughs> in digital and perform you know performance oh. artists in, in that way so it's it's yeah. funny it's actually been very beneficial to my career because everyone wants wow. to show performative video now mm -hmm. and do these like virtual screenings and and zoom and I've been teaching you know performance on camera on zoom which you know the camera is right there right in front of you so you're already considering issues of framing and lighting and and that type of thing. So, um, and for me, you know, I've always worked from home. Being an artist, I think a lot of us do. Uh, I work from a studio, I work from home. So we're used to these long, isolated periods. I think the the hardest thing for me is not having access to my community in the way that I did. Uh, as great as like Zoom is, and it connects us with even audiences internationally and scholars and artists internationally in a way that I think was so much more difficult pre-pandemic um, because you'd have to travel to a space to go yeah. see a performance or you'd have to travel to go listen to an artist talk. But now it's it's available online yeah. and you can listen to, you know, uh, artists from all over the world. And there's a lot of like connection there. But, you know, the what we're not having is those like real, I don't know, uh, what do we call them? The the alleyway conversations, the the parking lot conversations, the the place where we actually build the community uh, in in a much more um, connected kind of way, like to be with people, to experience performance with people is very different than to yeah. watch it on a Zoom, you know? There's a mm -hmm. sense of like the energy, I don't know, the the nuances and the body, there, there are th considering like your position in that space along with other audience members, you know, what is happening around you. I mean, I think that, 
taking the audience outside of the live space um is really challenging if it's we're not if we're not doing like a if it's not about like performance on camera, but rather like live performance mm-hmm. or an artist talk or something like that. Cause you know, a lot of people, if you were to travel to go to an artist talk, you would be in that space with everybody and you'd be listening together. But here, you know, you can just turn your camera off and cook. So yeah, it, you know, in a way I think, um, I've had a lot of, you know, opportunity to show my work and stuff because people are looking for digital content. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in, in some ways I really do miss just like the community events in person and to just, you know, those, those parking lot conversations where we talk about everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, as you know, there's a theme of the podcast series of the, you know, Body in Perform. The theme of this series is also to remember your inner world. This theme has a deep and also complex meaning, as simple as it sounds. But maybe a person needs to remember his inner world so that, you know, you can find uh, yourself. What do you think about this? What does remember your inner world mean to you yeah I mean that's a really um like profound question um you know through my character uh Coco because I do a lot of character work I think I experience um or at least try and uh like one of my methods is world making Mm -hmm. um creating my own inner world is like carving a space for my voice or my experiences for my even for my existence that feels like it's not available elsewhere yeah existence yeah Mm -hmm. and um so through coco you know i explore i explore language i explore the body i explore issues of space you know um thinking about for example um like first and second place my home and um where that is and and the the tension between you know the 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 land of origin and and the host nation you know re- real issue for any member of the diaspora always trying to navigate space so through the character i create this kind of in between space you know where um we kind of embrace this place of of the unknown a place that might be really scary you know we're always afraid of the unknown um, I think that's maybe why we're so afraid of death, you know? So I think yeah. for this character, um, it, there, there's like embracing that, mm-hmm. that dark space and, and understanding like where that, that dark space is like almost a clean slate. Like you can start anew, you can create your own language, you can create your own idea of space. You can even create your own identity. That's, that's not part of like a majoritarian identity, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think there's a lot of fluidity and, and uh, it's a space of like self-exploration as well, uh, of reflection. It can even be a safe space, but it's in, it's in your mind, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not like a tangible space. It's almost like a, a space maybe that we can escape to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my inner world would be that space, you know, uh, where I don't feel the pressure of, uh, the com- of communities to identify with anyone but rather to like create my own sense of uh, who I am and, 
and how I want to express things. And I think performance, um, especially like performing with the, with the body, um, gives us that, that agency to be able to do that, um, in a way that's maybe nonverbal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. So, um, you know, your work, uh, the work you did, uh, in the video performance called Supernova mm -hmm. seems uh, more, you know, gender based and which is really, I love it by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, can you tell us uh, what you aim for in this performance, more specific? Yeah, so, you know, the at Supernova, there are seven characters and I perform them all. <laughs> so so all, all of the characters have their own motive, desire, um, also like uh, significance in my practice. So mm -hmm. the three contestants are the other repeating characters in my practice. I have Oreo, who's like a white supremacist nationalist. Um, who explores what it means to be white, who can identify as white, who can claim whiteness, how does whiteness shift across cultures? Mm -hmm. um, for Then I have Fatima, who like performs this like exotic caricature of her like ethnic identity. And she brings up questions of, you know, authenticity and, um, and ethnic performances, especially in the Western world. And then Coco, you know, I just talked about, it's more about like liminal exploration and, yeah. and being in between two worlds. And so each of those three characters are, you know, they reflect uh, an aspect of my experience. They are in some way all portraits. It's all self-portraiture, but maybe just a little bit more exaggerated, you know, like I don't identify as a nationalist, mm -hmm. but, you know, had like struggled with um, like internalizing maybe like a, I think as many people have like, you know, Western or Euro uh, cultural like imperialism mm -hmm. and, and unlearning that and, and going through that. So, you know, it's like kind of uh, to me that part of my life was very traumatic. I didn't realize at the time, but reflecting on it now I'm like oh okay so you know I I draw a lot of my own experiences mm -hmm. and then with the other characters the judges for example and and the hostess those are more like secondary characters so their background uh and their story maybe isn't as developed as the other three because uh Oreo and like Fatima I've been performing for almost 10 years Uh, whereas like those characters I just created for uh, Supernova. So, you know, they have a little bit of a backstory, but in terms of their motives and their desires, it's not as, as nuanced as, as um, main three characters. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, each of them have a different purpose. Uh, the, I think a lot of people don't understand, but the judges, they're like the art critics you know, of the uh -oh. art world. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. What are they saying? What are they saying? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so we have like uh, Sirius, who's like, you know, um, very serious, which is, you know, in his name, but he's kind of ruthless. He's, he's a mean critic, you know? He doesn't care about your feelings. He just wants to, he's only interested in what is like marketable. Uh, oh. And then you have the the sympathizer, you know. Uh, we could call her like Paula Abdul. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
god. <laughs> Very oh, like wow. sympathetic and sweet and like wants to like every mm-hmm. and then uh and is supportive but also um isn't gonna, you know, take on like a bad yeah. act. <laughs> and then we have the third uh character, Bellatrix, who's like art speak you know (laughs) like it's super philosophical no one really understands what she's saying but they kind of nod along they're like yeah yeah but she's on to something you know Mm -hmm. and um I think she she understands Coco's performance as as transformative whereas everyone else is kind of confused you know Mm -hmm. uh like so alienated as the artist in that like weird uh game show and it's like they don't get her or they don't get coco you know coco's a bit weird to them but bella gets coco you know it gets the poetics of the message like gets it because they're they're technically like the the hyper intellectual you know so it's kind of funny because i think it speaks a lot about like kind of art world performances (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 where did you see the supernova? Sorry, what? Where did you see it? Uh, Instagram, your Instagram. Account. Oh, my Instagram. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what do you think about archiving in performance art? I mean, what is the advantage or disadvantage between institutions or artists? Can people um, accessibly, easily access them? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the archive is important because it becomes a documentation of a performance that no longer exists. So, you know, in an artist, ooh, I, it's funny because I, I, the ECC, we, I took a class by Anya, who's our director, and her whole um, research is in archives, especially performance oh. archives of Carolee Schneeman. And is she publish it. Somewhere? Pardon me. Uh, uh, is she published somewhere about uh, his uh, working work? Yeah, yeah. I can give you. I can put you in contact with her. I mean, Anya is the director of the European Cultural Center Performance oh. Art, which is like an online performance art institution, and I teach there. And um, yeah, and so she does a class on on like uh, documentation and performance in the archive, and she spent a lot of time with Carolee Schneeman's archive, and I never really thought of my work as um existing in an archive you know I I really wanted it to be active the archive kind of seems a bit dead to me but Mm. it's it's not and you know she really challenged me and made me think she's like you know it's so important for you to to like develop your own archive because Mm -hmm. um as historians we need access to that and we also need to just you know the more that you can archive the better and she was looking at like like I said, Carolee Schneeman, and they were like in Carolee's archive, there's like napkins that she doodled on. And I was like, okay, to what extent do I keep everything <laughs> I've ever touched? I don't know. It feels like a, I'm hoarding, you know? Oh my God. So I've developed a, I'm starting an archive as I'm working on my, on my um, website these days. And I've developed a section for the art, what I call like an archive of, yeah. of work that I hope to continue to exist. Um, yeah, you should. You know, yeah, just so that people understand, like, what is the my main practice? Like, where am I at right now? But what also 
led me to this point, I think is really important um, so that people can like look at your work in, in a much more uh, maybe holistic or full way, um, looking at your the trajectory of your practice, especially with my characters. Um, you really see them develop and change and, and the questions they ask and explore, you know, at the the stronger of an artist I get, like the better I get at my work or the more I, you know, the more I think about the work, other things come up that I didn't think about 10 years ago. So mm -hmm. it's really nice to see that, um, you know, an artist kind of progression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And their own practice. So I think, yeah, but, you know, um, it, it is so important to, I think, you know, a lot of people call, talk about decolonizing the archive or just getting rid of the archive. Um, I, I think decolonizing the archive, what people don't understand, what I, I think mm -hmm. the idea with that isn't that like we get rid of the archive, but we allow for other, um, narratives to exist alongside of these like Euro and Western yeah. narratives. You know, it's not like, get, let's get rid of everything that ever was created. Mm -hmm. Um, but like let other voices in, you know? Mm -hmm. And like uh, make space for those voices to exist in the archive as well. Like maybe we need to go back in time and yeah. look to see who's been omitted, mm -hmm. who's been left out of the conversation and bring them into the archive. But I don't think like getting rid of the archive and the history that we know, um, I don't know, it feels very radical to me. And I usually like radical gestures, but this to me just doesn't feel as productive as just saturating the archive with more and more diverse voices i don't know so that's my thoughts exactly so good so good by the way <laughs> yeah yeah so, um the last question <laughs> well i would like to more conversation with you but you know um the time is limit <laughs> that's okay yeah um uh, so what is your uh do you have any coming projects I really do. Thing. Yeah. Sorry, was that the, was there another part to your question? I think I cut you off. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, do you have uh, any upcoming, you know, projects? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I have um, two new videos coming out uh, soon, hopefully this year. Definitely this year, uh, 2022. Oh. And uh, again, with the same characters, Mm -hmm. One of them is another game show. Oh. Uh, again, about nationalism mm -hmm. and identity and, and all of these things. And then um, the other one is a little bit different. The script is a bit more abstract. It's a different style of performing. It's a different style of writing. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit more dramatic. It's a totally different tone than my other work as well. So I'm really excited about that one because... I've been working with parody and humor for so long um, that it's nice to just, you know, try something out uh, else out. So this one I think is going to be really interesting. I'm excited to see it come together, but right now I'm just kind of um, at like, I'm at the very beginning stages of editing, which is, uh, you know, pre pre compositing and all of that sort of thing. So there's still a lot of work to do, wow. but uh, I'm on. I, yeah. Hopefully, you know, it'll get done by, so nice. Yeah, so you know, stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh thank you so much. Uh, thank you.
Ra. Uh, I really enjoyed your conversation. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your questions and for, um, for inviting me. And, you know, stay in touch.